My name is Rick Renner. I'm standing by a big fire in my backyard in Moscow, Russia. And as I look at this fire, I want to ask you, how is your spiritual fire? Are you burning for God today like you used to burn? One fuel you need is worship. When you enter into worship, it literally sets the heart on fire. Are you a worshiper? Do you know what the Bible says about worship? You need the fuel of fire. And that is what I'm going to talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Welcome to today's program. I've been waiting for you, and today I'm going to talk to you about the next fuel you need to inject into your spiritual fire. And the fuel I'm going to talk about today will really set your heart ablaze. It's going to be powerful, so don't miss today's program. But if you need prayer, call us. We're waiting for you. This is the end of the week. Call us right now before the weekend begins so we can put our faith together with you for whatever you're dealing with in your life. We're not counselors, but we really know how to pray. And we're waiting for that phone to ring right now or send us an email. We'll look in our e inbox. And as soon as we see that you've communicated with us, we're going to put our faith together with you and we will answer you. Those who call us for prayer will tell you we really pray and we keep praying. We believe that God has called us to do that for you. And I want to remind you that right now I'm offering you my series called A Life Ablaze, 10 Simple Keys to Living on Fire for God. It's 10 parts based on these programs. This series is so rich and the series is so packed. I know you're not getting it all every day. So get this series so you can hear this over and over and over and you can share it with someone else. We're also offering you right now my book, by the same title called A Life Ablaze, 10 Simple Keys to Living on Fire for God. I love this book. It's my new book. And my new book is always my favorite book. But I'm telling you, this book is amazing. 448 pages. You know, I thought it would be a small book. But when I began to write it, it just poured out of me. It's godly. It's practical. It identifies the fuels you need for your heart to stay on fire and how to apply those fuels to your heart. It answers so many questions about the fire of God. My friend, this is really a book that will take you to a new dimension in your spiritual life. So I want you to order your copy right now. Also, for those who become partners, we always send them our partner package as our way of saying thank you for helping us take the teaching of the Bible to people that are hungry. In Psalm 119, verse 18, the Bible says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful truths from your word. That's what I'm praying for you today, that God will open your eyes right now. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit will do his work and open the eyes of my friend today so that they can see things in Scripture about this needed fuel that they've never seen before. In Jesus' name. Amen. Today I'm talking about those fuels that you need to add to your spiritual fire. You can keep your fire burning. It can be sustained for years and years. It can even grow if you know the right fuel to inject into the flame. And so far we've seen that you need to add the fuel of the Word of God. You need to add the fuel of prayer. You need to add the fuel of the Holy Spirit. And today we come to the next fuel, which is the fuel of worship. Now wait. 
If you say, oh, I already know everything there is to know about worship, are you sure? Stay with me today because today I think you're going to learn something new about worship and how worship will cause your spiritual fire to turn up a notch. You need worship in order for your heart to stay on fire. I've got my Bible, so I hope you have your Bible because today we're going to be using a lot of Bible verses. But we're going to begin with our anchor verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6 where we read, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Timothy was down. He was struggling. He was distracted by a lot of problems. And apparently it was beginning to affect the fire of God in his heart. So when Paul wrote to him, he said, Timothy, here's what you need to do. You need to stir up the fire of God, the gift of God that is in you. And when he says stir up, it is a Greek word, anadzopereo. Very interesting, a compound of three words. The word ana, which means to repeat something or to do it again. The word zao, which means to be lively, to be alive. And the word pur, which is the Greek word for fire. When you compound the three words together, it means to do whatever you have to do to put life back into your fire again to do whatever you have to do to put life back into your fire again. And sometimes it is translated to be enthusiastic, to be fervent, to be passionate, to be vigorous, to do something wholeheartedly or zealously. So if we stopped right there, he's talking about us being enthusiastic about something, being fervent, being passionate, being very vigorous, wholeheartedly and zealous about this. And it can be translated to rekindle or to stir back to life again. So if you want to cause your fire to burn again, you have to be very intentional. You have to be zealous about this. It's going to require determination and a commitment. And you've got to identify the fuels you need to put into your flame to make sure your flame has what it needs to keep burning. And today we're going to look at the fuel of worship. Worship is so powerful. When a person worships, it opens a channel through which the presence of God enters his atmosphere. If it's a church, real worship, if real bona fide worship is occurring, it forms a conduit through which the presence of God enters the atmosphere. And when that presence of God comes, everything can be changed. Mindsets can be shifted. It is amazing how God can convict you about the way that you're thinking during a time of worship. Revelation can be unlocked during a time of worship. Deliverance can come during a time of worship. Healing can come during a time of worship. In fact, I'll tell you that nearly every book I've written, and I've written a lot, nearly all of them have come to me. The concepts have come during times of worship. When I'm worshiping God, suddenly it's like the spirit realm opens and information is downloaded into my mind. I can see what I'm supposed to do. I can see what I'm supposed to write. The majority of it has come to me during times of worship. There's nothing that can be compared to what takes place during a time of worship when the presence of God comes that literally charges an atmosphere. And that presence is so powerful, it can change everything. It can change everyone in the place. Listen to what worship leader, singer, songwriter, and author Matt Redmond said about worship. So often when my worship has dried up, it's because I haven't been fueling the fire. I haven't set aside any time to soak myself under the showers of God's revelation. Often time is the key factor. But if we can find space to soak ourselves in God's word, his presence, and spend time with other believers, then we'll find 
that the revelation floods back into our lives and our hearts will respond with a blaze of worship once again. That is so powerful. Or listen to what A.W. Tozer said. I can say safely on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. That's because heaven is going to be filled with worship. Or listen to what theologian Karl Barth said about worship. He said, worship is the most momentous, the most urgent, the most glorious action that can take place in human life. That's because it gets us ready for what's to come. And pastor and author David Jeremiah says, if you don't worship, you'll never experience God. You see, there's a whole realm of God that is only revealed to us during worship. But you say, what is worship? That's a very important question, but let me begin by telling you what worship is not. And I'll begin by telling you about our life in Moscow. In Moscow, in the very heart of the city, right near the Kremlin, is a very famous theater called the Bolshoi Theater. Have you ever heard of the Bolshoi Theater? Some of the greatest opera, some of the greatest music, the greatest ballet in the world is performed on the stage of the Bolshoi Theater. And because Denise is an opera singer, she occasionally likes to go to the Bolshoi Theater. She'll be there next week for a great performance, a ballet, and an opera. What takes place on that stage is amazing. It's music, perhaps the best music in the world. My Phil, friend, Phil Driscoll, who is a famous musician, told me that the musicians in the Bolshoi Theater are probably the world's finest musicians. But not just the musicians, the singers. The singing is amazing. Or what can be compared to Russian ballet? How those men leap across the stage, it just leaves you speechless to see what they are able to do. That stage is a stage of human achievement. People applaud, people scream, people are dumbfounded by what they see on that stage. But as wonderful as all that is, it is for human achievement. It does not form a channel or a conduit through which the presence of God comes into the Bolshoi Theater. It's about talent, it's about achievement. Now in the same way, I travel all over the world and I speak in all different kinds of churches and conferences and seminars in all different kinds of culture. So I'm able to see a lot of different worship and music experiences in a Christian context. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of good music in the church today. A lot of good music, a lot of good choreography. Some music is so choreographed, every movement is planned. The musicians are fabulous. It is spectacular what they do. It's a full drama, it's a full spectacle. A lot of work goes into it, but good music and good choreography does not produce worship. It can come from the fingers, it can come from the head, it can come from the soul. It can be excellent, and it should be excellent because we're the people of God. We should provide the best. In our own church, we have people playing on our stage from the Bolshoi Theater because we want the very best because it is for the Lord. But playing from your fingers, from your head, from your soul, it does not necessarily constitute worship. Real worship is not about human achievement or human talent. Real worship occurs when you worship from the heart, and when real worship occurs, it forms a channel or it forms a conduit through which God himself comes and enters a congregation or enters the atmosphere of the worshiper himself. It is supernatural. And when that presence comes, things take place. 
things take place. The miraculous takes place. It is amazing. Lives are changed when this presence of God comes in worship. The divine presence, when it comes, can change everything. Now, what does the word worship mean in the New Testament? That's a very important question. The word worship in the New Testament is the Greek word proskuneo. And I'm going to read to you from my notes. It describes one who fell on his face, prostrate before a superior to worship or to collapse onto one's face or on one's knees in order to worship. Worshippers who extended their arms toward a God in absolute love, affection, and devotion, and even lovingly blowing kisses toward that God. It pictures one who uses all the available methods necessary to adore and to worship. That's very important. So when you worship, it means to blow kisses at God. It describes a very intimate moment where you focus solely upon God, not on human talent. Now, human talent might help you get into that place. But this is not about human achievement. This is about creating an atmosphere where God moves. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means you don't even have to go to a church for this to take place. It can happen right where you are. Now, there's a special anointing that happens when you're corporately with other believers. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul said, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That word temple is the Greek word naos. And the word naos describes a temple or a highly decorated shrine it is the image of vaulted ceilings, marble, granite, gold, silver, and highly decorated ornamentation, the most sacred innermost part of a temple. Well, you have to remember that Paul was writing to people who were pagans, and they had grown up in a pagan environment, and in the pagan world there were temples everywhere. If you went to Rome, if you went to Athens, if you went to Greece, if you went to Ephesus, it didn't matter where you went in the pagan world, you would see magnificent temples. And when you entered the innermost courts of a shrine, you would see marvelous precious stones, you would see ornamentations of gold and silver, fabulous, luxurious fabrics. It was just amazing what was on the interior of a temple. And by using this word naos, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, there were a lot of temples in Corinth. When he used this word naos, the word temple, immediately that's what they saw in their mind, the temples they had grown up around. And Paul was saying to them, if your eyes could be opened, and if you could see your spiritual interior, you would find that in you, God has constructed something magnificent. In the new birth, your spirit was recreated, and your interior is highly ornamented with gifts of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit, and so many godly things that have been placed in us. In fact, what God did in us was so magnificent that the Holy Spirit said, I want to live inside that person. The Holy Spirit is inside you. If you could see what is in you, it would do such a boost to your self-image. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. At the moment of your new birth, you, my friend, became a walking sanctuary. You are a walking sanctuary. I like the way that Rabbi Zacharias says it. The Christian does not need to go to a temple to worship. The Christian takes the temple with him or her. Jesus lifts us beyond the building and pays the human body the highest compliment by making it his dwelling place, the place where he meets with us. This means as temples of the Holy Spirit, 
We are the sanctuary of God, which means we can worship anywhere we are. You can worship where you are. You can worship in the car. You can worship in the shower. You can worship at church. You can worship on the street. You can worship at work. You are the sanctuary of God himself. But worship is not about us. It's not about talent. Talent might help us get there. Worship is about God. Worship occurs when we reach a point of abandonment and surrender. When we're totally focused on God, and according to the usage of the Greek word proskuneo, which is the word worship, when we literally intimately begin to blow kisses at God. And in fact, in that moment, a conduit or a channel is formed where God literally enters the atmosphere where we are, and the atmosphere is filled with a presence that changes us. Now, how does God respond to this kind of worship? And the answer is in Psalm 22, verse 3, which says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. That word inhabits is a Hebrew word which means to sit enthroned. It pictures God sitting or resting on top of a person or sitting or resting on top of an entire congregation that is worshiping from the heart. When we've abandoned ourselves, our focus is completely on Him. We've surrendered to Him. And in that moment, it is so marvelous that God says, I want to be a part of that. And God's presence comes and it literally sits on top of that person's worship or on top of that congregational worship. It hovers right above it. And this brings me in my memories to meetings I attended with Catherine Kuhlman. Catherine Kuhlman's meetings were amazing. Catherine Kuhlman understood worship and that when worship was taking place, the presence of God came. And in fact, Catherine Kuhlman never entered an auditorium or stood on a stage until people had first been worshiping. I can remember sitting in those meetings when the crowd was caught up in rapturous worship, totally caught up in the presence of God. And before Catherine Kuhlman was ever on the stage, you could already feel the power of God moving on the auditorium. And Catherine Kuhlman knew that was the moment to enter the auditorium and to step on the stage. She simply stepped into an environment where God was already working. The presence of God was hovering on top of those auditoriums of people. The Spirit of God was already moving because when you worship, God comes. He hovers. He sits enthroned on top of worshiping people. That is amazing. Now, there's something else very important. The word glory Glory is what comes when we worship in the Old Testament describes something that is heavy or something that is weighty. That's why in the book of Chronicles it tells us when the priests entered the temple they could not stand because of the glory cloud. The glory was so heavy they literally collapsed under it. But when you come to the New Testament, the word glory, the Greek word doxos, describes discernment, judgment, or splendor. Discernment, judgment, or splendor. It is the splendorous presence of God that is hovering above a person or hovering above a congregation. And when that glory of God comes, the mind of God, the Holy Spirit, which is in that glory, begins discerning every single need in the congregation. And the Holy Spirit in the glory begins judging or discerning what needs to be met in each individual's life. And the Spirit of God in that environment begins to meet every person according to their need. If a person needs conviction of sin, the glory, in the presence of the glory, they are convicted. If a person needs deliverance, 
in the presence of that glory, the Spirit of God, the glory of God begins to distribute and the person receives deliverance. Or if the person needs healing, they can receive healing. Or if the person needs revelation, it's amazing how the mind can be opened and in the glory of God, you can see what you were never able to see before. That's because you are in an environment where God has come. That is amazing. That takes place when worship is transpiring. C.S. Lewis said this, In the process of being worshipped, God communicates His presence to men. And my friend, I want to tell you, when you worship, the glory of God comes. It literally hovers above the atmosphere. It is heavy with everything good, including all of God's goodness. It is filled with miracles. It's filled with deliverance. It's filled with gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins discerning what is needed by every person in the crowd and then begins distributing according to the need. It is a miraculous, supernatural environment. All of that is conveyed to us in the word glory. Again, in the Old Testament, the word glory describes something heavy, something weighty. It is the presence of God that is filled with everything good. In the New Testament, the word doxos, the same glory, which has a mind, a supernatural mind. And it begins discerning needs and distributing or judging what every person needs. All of this comes to a person who worships. Wow. My friend, worship will change your life. It is a fuel that you need in your spiritual life. You can do it every morning by yourself. You can do it in the car. You can do it wherever you are because you are a walking sanctuary. Or you can join with other believers in a congregation where you experience a special presence of God. And God literally enters the atmosphere with His presence and begins to change everyone who is there. This is a fuel you need for you to really blaze with fire for years and years to come. And if you feel that your fire, fire is burning low, begin to worship. Throw another log on the fire. The presence of God will come and it will light your spirit with a new flame. We're out of time, but I'll be back in just a moment and I'm going to pray for you. Is the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in your heart as it burned earlier in your life? How do you stoke the embers of fire so that they begin to burn red hot in your heart again? How do you sustain that fire for the rest of your life? In the 10-part series, A Life Ablaze, Rick Renner will show you the fuels you need to stay spiritually ablaze and how to use them to stir your spiritual fire. In this 10-part series, you'll learn what is the real condition of your spiritual fire right now, what to do if your spiritual embers are about to go out, how to stoke the coals to get them burning again, what fuels you need to inject into your spiritual fire. Available in digital or physical format, starting at just $20, you'll learn how to reach inside yourself to stir up the fire of God that is in you. In addition to this teaching series, you can also purchase the book, A Life Ablaze. In this powerful book, Rick lays out everything you need to live an intimate, uncompromising life and stay on fire with the Holy Spirit's power for years to come. You can do it, but you need to know how, and that is what you'll discover in this timely book. Don't delay ordering your copy today because it will help you throw the right fuels into your fire to get you burning again. Order your copy of A Life Ablaze today for only $18. Don't miss this special offer, this series A Life Ablaze and the companion book A Life Ablaze. Call the number on your screen now or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now. Hey friend, this is Rick Renner and I want to give you a report 
about our ministry expansion project. As I've told you, our ministry is literally bursting at the seams. People are responding to us from all over the world. They're tuning in and listening to our teaching on television, on YouTube, in all kinds of media, and they're reaching out to us for prayer and for resources. And because of that, we need a new facility in Tulsa to accommodate all the souls that God is bringing to us. And at the same time, we are constructing a brand new TV facility in Moscow because we have outgrown this space. Now we are doing five to seven live broadcasts a day and we simply need a new studio. So at one time, we need a new studio in Moscow. We need a new building in Tulsa and you have done so much to help us, but we still have a ways to go. So I'm asking you to continue to pray about being a part of the giving team to help us achieve this monumental victory in our lives. It's not about buildings. It's never about buildings, it's about people. The only reason we need the space is because God is graciously sending us people and he is entrusting us to minister to them and to respond to their needs. And I think you know that in our ministry, we're very serious about ministering to those who reach out to us. Every day I sit in this chair and I bring teaching to people that I believe they can trust. We're told in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 21, that the lips of the righteous feed many, and I know that is my assignment from the Lord. And when you're a partner, and when you're a part of the giving team to help us purchase the new building in Tulsa and to build the studio in Moscow together, we will bring teaching to people that they can trust, and the Word of God will change their lives. And I want to say thank you for your help. And if you've not helped us yet, would you please pray about becoming a part of the giving team to help us achieve this monumental victory in our life. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Today, I've been talking about the spiritual fuel of worship. You need to throw another log into your spiritual fire. And that log is worship. When you inject worship into your spiritual life, it will literally cause you to come aflame with the Spirit of God. Worship is so powerful. I've enjoyed speaking to you about this today, and I'm speaking to you from my series, which is called A Life Ablaze. A Life Ablaze, that's what God wants you to be. Ten simple keys to living on fire for God. Ten parts comes in multiple formats. And I'm also speaking to you from my book, which is called A Life Ablaze, 488 pa 48 pages. This book is powerful. It is just loaded. By reading this book, you'll know how to grab that fuel, how to open the door to your heart, stick it on the inside, so you can become the flame of fire that God wants you to be. And for those who become partners, we always send you a little package to welcome you as a partner. A partner is really someone who helps us as a real partner to take the teaching of the Bible to people that are so hungry for the Word of God right from your home. You can help change somebody else's life. Isn't that amazing? Just sitting right there, wherever you are looking at your device, with a contribution, you can take this teaching to somebody who's crying out, for the verse-by-verse -verse teaching of the Bible. And if you're a partner already, Denise and I are so grateful for you. Thank you, partner. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for the power of worship. 
Help us, Lord, to be true worshipers. We know that you're seeking true worshipers and that our worship forms a conduit for your presence to come. Light us with fire, Lord. We need fire. We want to be an inferno for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is with you right now. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there is power. That is the truth. So embrace the word and let its power be released in your life today. And I'll see you in the next program.